What an honour! Uh, oh, there we are. Uh, what an honour it is to be involved in today's service. I almost feel as if uh, I'm not really required at this point because we've had such inspirational words from John and Laura already this morning, and been able to uh, just sing praise to our Father. Um, it's amazing just to see a young life starting off, and the joy and the tiredness that he's causing for his parents, uh, and and trying to fit some humour in, John. Uh, and what a what a pleasure it is to be part of a church that just loves young people. Uh, and so much and wants to support parents uh, in the vital and incredibly difficult job of bringing up children. I wonder what you would say to the question, what is Christianity? What is Christianity? We're in church, so it seems like a fairly relevant question to ask. And uh, depending on your experience of religion, your worldview, uh, your idea about the beginning of the world, etc., uh, etc., et we might get a wide variety of responses. You might say that it's it's just a set of rules and regulations, just a list of things to obey. Uh, you might say that it's a, a set of really good principles and good teaching to live your life by, like a, like a good mantra. Maybe you think it's a naive idea about the world. It's for people who aren't quite clever enough to understand science and, you know, complicated things like that. By the way, I'm a science teacher. Um, maybe a, a true cynic would say that it's some kind of long-term government conspiracy to try to keep us all in our place. Personally, in the 26 years that I've been a Christian, and that is quite scary to say out loud, uh, I have found, and, and also what I find in the Bible, that Christianity is first and foremost a relationship. It is a relationship. Not a perfect relationship, but that's 100% my fault. It's a relationship with a God who made me, who loves me, and has done everything in his incomprehensible power to make this relationship possible. A relationship which goes far beyond creator, created, into a relationship that is father and son. And how relevant it is that today we've been thinking about the relationship between children and parents. As Christians, we are told that we have become children of God. And in that we have all of the things that we expect children to have. Unconditional love, affirmation, hope, someone to speak with, someone to provide for us, someone to help us through our most difficult times in life. And as we've heard, there are some really difficult times in life. We are told in Romans 8 that through the Spirit we cry out as Christians, Abba, Father, which is a term of closeness. It's like a child just saying, Dad. Our God is not some distant God, one who checks in every now and again to make sure you're kind of on the right track and things are going okay. That is not our God. Our God is passionately interested in our lives, in my life, in your life. And he offers us everything that a father should. Now, there might be many people in the room today who see plenty of faults in their own dad. Maybe people who have really quite broken relationships with their fathers. God is the perfect father. And this is what Christianity offers, and this is what Christianity is. Now, over the past few weeks into months, we've been looking at a passage uh, called the Sermon on the Mount, a very famous passage, uh, and we've been thinking through the implications of what Jesus has said to his disciples on a whole range of topics like, do we worship money? Are we too quick to judge others whilst ignoring our own faults? How should we pray to God? And many more topics beside that. It's an incredible sermon by Jesus, and his disciples, as we have been, uh, really challenged, really, really challenged at times 
on topics that for, for these disciples 2,000 years ago would have been really difficult for them in their generation. It would have set them apart from the world, but boy, was it going to be a hard life. It was going to enable them to serve people, to serve God, to love God, to glorify God. And it was going to enable them to be more like Jesus himself. This is the teaching that came through from the Sermon on the Mount, but it was going to be hard. There was going to be sacrifices. There was going to be difficult decisions to be made. There was going to be pain for many of them. For a lot, even leading all the way through to death. And so at this point that we come to in today's part of the passage, Jesus brings them to the greatest weapon that is in the arsenal of a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. He says to them, pray. Pray. Doesn't matter how hard it gets, pray about it. Doesn't matter how lonely you feel, pray about it. It doesn't matter what it seems that the world is throwing at you and it can seem like boulders that the world is throwing at you. Pray about it. It's not the first time Jesus has spoken in this sermon about prayer. He said in, earlier on in chapter nine, uh, ch- sorry, chapter 6, verse 9, and when you pray, and then he goes on speaking to disciples and he says, this then is how you should pray. It is quite clear that prayer is to be a key integral part of the life of a Christian, a follower of Jesus. And in today's passage, we see an encouragement on how and why we should pray, and it is so relevant to today. Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. If you have your Bible, feel free to open it up, but it will be up here anyway. It says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Jesus says to his disciples, life's going to get tough. You're going to have needs, pains, requests. What I want you to do is to ask. Seek, knock the door, that is the door leading to God. Pray to God about your issues. It is right, and today it is still very much right to ask help from people around about us. John's very kindly thanked people for the help and the support that that they've offered to John and Laura. And it is right that we go to our friends and we go to our family for help when, when we need their support. But it's not what Jesus is saying here. He says, ask your Father in heaven. And that's what prayer is. Simply communicating with God. It doesn't need to be fancy, though it it should be reverent. It doesn't need to be full of deep thought and and complicated words and hard ideas because God isn't impressed by stuff like that. It's just a privilege to be able to speak with the God of heaven. And it's what he wants from us. Now, it's important that we don't read these verses wrong. It'd be quite easy to look at these verses like God's a bit of a blank check. You know, well... God said, I just have to ask, so Ferrari, please, thanks very much. It clearly doesn't work like that, because for one thing, I suspect we'd have a car park full of Ferraris out there, and we don't, and then we'd have, the next week, we'd have just church full of people wondering why there's so many Ferraris. That's not how, how prayer works, that's not what God is saying. It's also quite easy to think about God as something of a genie, you know, like just issuing wishes, say what you want, and you know, it'll just be there. That's not what God does. Thank goodness that's not what God does. I'm sure we've all seen Aladdin, either the film or the panto version. The film's better. Um, And we've seen that when you just ask and you get what you ask for, it does not tend to work out very well. God knows what we need and what we want. And thank the Lord, he has the discernment and the wisdom to know the difference between them. 
I think we all know, and uh, it would be straightforward and easy advice to give to John and Laura today, that any parent who just gives whatever their child asks is not doing them a service. It's not preparing them for life in general, and it is not going to produce the best character. God knows what we need. And sometimes, as hard as it is, our prayers do come back as no. Or not just now. That job you want, that relationship you're interested in, that's whatever, fill in the blank. Sometimes it does come back as it's just not right for you. Just now, it's not right. And it takes faith And we've been reminded about that already. It takes faith to accept that and to accept that God sees the big picture and God knows what we need. And it's just been amazing just to hear the honesty from John and Laura this morning as they themselves have accounted to us just the pain, the emotional pain and the physical pain as well that they've gone through in their quest to start a family. And that pain, on top of that pain, was heartbreaking prayer. Not just from John and Laura, but from friends and family and church members, etc. And I think we can all say with some assurance that John and Laura know that James is very much their little prayer baby. And there might be times during the night when (laughs) they have different prayers, but uh, (laughs) go to sleep. The power is there. If this God that we know is the one who created the universe, created you, created me, then the power that is at his hand is beyond our understanding. And so we actually shouldn't be shy when we come to God with our requests. It is okay to come and ask God big and outrageous prayers. He still knows what is best, but he has the power to do anything that we need. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more then all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us to him be the glory. Immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. The thing that limits God is not God. It's us. It's us not asking for incredible enough things. And the Bible gives us many examples of of people who prayed for remarkable things. Last year, when we were studying at church, we looked at the life of Abraham, very relevant to today. And when we were looking at the life of Abraham, we saw that him and his wife, they were desperate for children of their own. But it was an impossible task. They were old. Abraham was nearly 100 years old. His wife was barren and had been barren her entire life. It was impossible, physically. It was a silly thing to bring to God, and yet God answered their prayer anyway. Late in life, but God gave them the family that they wanted. There is nothing impossible for God. Some things are not right for us, but we should not be ashamed or embarrassed to bring massive prayers to our massive God. Our prayers should never start, God, if you can. Now in our passage, a grammar lesson. It'll be short, because I'm Scottish and therefore I know zero grammar. But I'm told by those who are better at these things than me that the tense of these two words, seek, ask, and knock, is the perfect imperative I'll write that down. Um, Meaning, do them and keep on doing them. Be persistent in your prayers. It's not disrespectful and it's not rude to keep on praying about the same thing to God. It's right. And actually God asks us to do it. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5, pray continually. 
Now, that doesn't mean that every minute and every second of your life you should be praying. I'm not a very good multitasker, but I'm pretty sure that nobody could get through life and pray continually. It's actually an encouragement not to give up with your prayer. Don't give up. Going back to that story about Abraham and, and their, him and his wife's quest to find and start a family. We're told that they prayed for 20 years. 20 years before they actually had a child. God knew what was best for them though. Don't give up. Whether it's for a child, maybe in your own situation, it's very similar. Or for maybe improved physical or, or mental health for yourself or a loved one. Maybe it's so that someone you know and love would, would seek and find God. Whatever it is, keep praying. Pray through the loneliness. Pray through the fears about work and your job. Pray through the health worries. Pray through it all and just keep on praying. Now in the Western church, this is something that we struggle with, quite frankly. Prayer has not really got into the heart of the Western church because we're an action-based culture. If there's an issue, we want to we YouTube it or, or Google it or screw fix it, in my dad's case, um, or, or see a mental health advisor or, or whatever it happens to be. Um, and I'm not saying that those things aren't good, but we want to do the action. We want to go and sort it ourselves. And we've become so self-reliant, so self-reliant. And we're missing out on calling out on God and seeing God do incredible things. And the boost that that gives our relationship, because Christianity is a relationship. And it's not easy, I accept it's not easy at times to admit that we don't have the solution and we don't have the answer. And there's something quite embarrassing and a bit humiliating, even taking to God and saying, I can't do this by myself, and, and declaring that we're kind of impotent in the situation. But God has power and knowledge that we don't have, and God wants to hear us pray. Now, I don't pretend to know how prayer works. It is a complicated issue that I will, would not have time or the intellectual capabilities to really explain. The Bible makes it really clear that God is sovereign. He knows what is right, and he knows what will happen, and he knows what is best. The Bible makes it clear that his ways cannot be undermined. His plans cannot be ruined by anything that you or I can do. But it also makes it really clear that when we pray, it changes stuff. It actually changes stuff. James chapter 4 says, you do not have because you do not ask God. And there were certain things, certain good things that God wanted for his people. And they didn't have them simply because they were just unwilling to go and ask. And our passage itself says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Now, as we've already covered, it doesn't mean that we get everything we ask for because God knows what is best. But we should be asking. And church, if we understood this, if we genuinely believed this, our lives, our church, would be so different. We'd be every prayer meeting we could possibly get to. Anytime that anything significant happened in our life, and personally or in our church, we'd take it straight to God. If we had a friend who was a millionaire who said to us, whatever you need, I've got your back, just come and see me. Speaking for myself, I'd probably be there every day. But we've got better than that. So much better than that. And I admit, I'm terrible. I don't come to you on a pedestal that's of somebody who's got prayer life sorted out. I am terrible. I'm so inconsistent. I'm so irregular. I'm a bit self-reliant on myself. I'm kind of self-absorbed, to be honest. And I wish I was better at it. I really do. And it's very much on my to-do list 
to get better at prayer, to become more focused on God, more reliant on God, um, more regular in that. But actually these days, I believe more and more that prayer is less about the outcome and more about that relationship with God. Remember, Christianity is all about relationship. And we might think that we pray to God because God needs to know what we need or what we want. Matthew chapter 6, earlier in, in the Sermon on the Mount, says this, your father knows what you need before you ask him. So why even bother? Well, I've decided that April is going to be the month that my marriage like, just goes leaps and bounds. Just, just gets so much better. Okay, here's my plan. Now, Sarah, Sarah and I, Sarah's over there, we've been together for 10 years. Feels like minutes. Thank you. Uh, we've been married for seven and a half. So Sarah knows me. She knows what, what I like, what I don't like, what I need, what I want, all that kind of stuff. She knows me. So I've decided for the month of April, I'm not going to talk to her. Okay, because she knows, she knows me anyway. And it's good. Oi, shut up. Um, and um, that time that, that I've saved in having communi- like actually talking to her, um, I'm, it's going like, to help me just be so much more efficient. And boy, do I love efficiency. I'm pretty much German. I, I love efficiency. So, sorry to any Germans that might be here. No, I'm not sorry, actually. It's a good thing. Um, in the time that it takes um, for us to talk about how our days have been, I could probably wash her car because um, it's small. Um, and, and it's just going to be so much better. Our, our, our marriage is just going to blossom and bloom, and it's just going to go from strength to strength to strength. And I can see people around the room going, that's a great idea. <laughs> when I get home, I'm proposing that exact plan. Um, I think we can all agree that it is a terrible plan. Terrible. Because our relationship is not going to go from strength to strength if I don't talk to Sarah. It's just not going to happen. A good relationship has to be two-way There has to be two-way communication. Now, God speaks to us primarily through his Bible, but also through Jesus Christ and in other ways. And God has clearly explained to us what he's like, what he wants us to be like, what he's got in store for us for the future. God has made it really, really clear. Our part of that is prayer. And it's not a working relationship. If we're not praying to God, if we're not taking our massive prayers to God so that we can see him do incredible things, to answer those prayers in ways that we didn't even envisage, to answer them in ways that are so much wiser than we would have done them. And our, our relationship would just be so much developed. And that's what God wants from us. As we watch him do incredible things through us and for us, our faith grows and John and Laura, I mean, you've done my sermon for me, basically. I've already talked about how much closer they are with God, how much deeper that relationship has been. And yes, it was hard, it was painful, there were tears, there was actual physical and horrendous emotional pain. But they're so much closer to God through it. And God answers prayers. And so we are told to seek him, to ask from him, to knock and wait for his response. Pray. Pray like a child requests from their father because that's exactly what is going on. And pray that God, pray knowing that God loves to answer and to give and bless his children. Our passage goes on to say this, which of you, if your son asks for bread, would you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? It's a strange passage I appreciate at first glance, but the point is vital and so important. 
when we approach God as our heavenly father, we have absolute faith that he has our best interest at heart. He speaks to his disciples and appeals to their common sense. And many of them will have been parents themselves. And he says, if your children came to you and asked for bread, which of you would give them a stone? Something that looks like bread, but actually doesn't satisfy the hunger at all. Or if they came asking for fish, which of you would, would give them a snake? Now, you people, you are inherently evil. You are wrong. You are sinners. You're broken. But you know how to do good. And you know how to give good things to your children. And you love doing good things for your children. Well, how much better do you think the Heavenly Father, who is the perfect God and the perfect Father, how much better, how much wiser, how much more does he love to bless those who come to him? You can have absolute faith when you come with your prayers to God that he listens, he loves to hear your prayers, he assesses them perfectly, and he loves to bless you through it. We can have total faith that our God hears our prayers, understands them, and those which are right for us, he will give because he is the perfect father. What a relationship that is. What a relationship. And I hope as you, as you hear that, that you are, you're touched by just how, how incredible a relationship that can be. So what about you today? It's great if you're already there. If you already have that relationship with God, amazing. But what if you don't? What if you've really been quite apathetic about ideas about God up to now? Or, or maybe today you're here and you're actually, you're questioning and you're querying and you're challenging and you're thinking about God. And you want to know more. Well, first of all, can I, can I say that as a church, we run a course called Christianity Explored. And if it's an opportunity to, to delve into and, and be challenged by big questions about Christianity and life and et cetera, et cetera. And if you're interested, please at the end, come and either speak to myself or speak to Andy who was up earlier or... or Keith or Paul, one of the other elders, or anybody that you know at church. And we'd love to, to help you and, and to encourage you and give you an opportunity to, to work through some of the big questions. But secondly, let me just tell you that the God that says to the disciples and to the Christians who are in the room today, seek, ask, knock, come and speak to me, is the same God that says to you today, I, I want to hear from you. I'm desperate to be in a relationship with you. And I hope that you think today that that, is, that does sound like a great relationship to be in. To be known by and to know the great, great creator God of the universe. To know the one who created us, loves us, and desperately wants us in his future. is an amazing thing. But it's not something that we just all have. See, there's something in the way. And whether we like to admit it, we are sinners. We're broken. We have sin in our lives. It's what... It's what the Bible calls it, the things that we've done wrong. Romans chapter 3 says this, all have sinned and fallen short of God's standard. And sadly, our actions back up that. We lie, we cheat, we're jealous, we gossip, we hurt people, and more besides. And every one of those actions is wrong, maybe against somebody, a friend or, or whatever, but they are first and foremost wrong against our God, a holy and a perfect and a righteous God. And that holy and perfect and righteous God has created a perfect heaven that he is desperate for you to be in. But a perfect heaven and a perfect God cannot have broken, sinful people in his heaven. And he can't just ignore the things that we've done wrong. What kind of God would that be? 
if when we sin and we hurt all those around about us, he just ignores it, sweeps under the carpet, wipes the slate clean, what kind of God would that be? That's not the God I want. I want a just God. And justice logically says that if you've done something wrong, you should be punished for it. And that would be the logical thing to do, for God just to punish us for the things that we've done wrong. But actually, God says, I don't, I don't want that. That is not what I want. And so the great message of Christianity is actually this, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth to die for us in our place and to take the punishment that you and I rightly deserve. That's the message of Christianity. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ, when he went to Calvary, when he died on the cross, he took your punishment and he took my punishment. He took it himself. He bore your punishment. And because he did it, that means that actually I don't need to be punished. That's revolutionary. That's amazing. And it opens up an opportunity for us to have a relationship with God. And that's what God wants. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants you in his heaven. He wants to know you as his child and you, for you to know him as your father. And our sin has gotten in the way. And so God just asks for simple things from us. First of all, God asks that we come to him and we just confess and admit, you know, we've done wrong. In your sight, we have done wrong. We are sinners, we're broken. And then he asks that we appreciate that our relationship, any possible relationship is simply through Jesus Christ. And the fact that he's already taken our place. That we try our best to turn from our sinful ways. And God knows that we will get it wrong. There'll be days where I live a very broken life. But we do our best to turn away from our sinful lives. But when we come and humbly pray to God and, and just ask for forgiveness. When we accept that, that we've done wrong and we just rely on Jesus Christ and what he's done on Calvary's cross, when we rely on that, God says, I will forgive you, you'll be part of my family, you can be in my heaven, you can be in that, that relationship with me. And so God says to everybody here, seek, ask, knock, I'm here for you. I want to be your father. I want you to be my son, my child. The way's there. God has done all of the work. He's prepared it for us. And we just need to come to him this morning. So today, as I, I come to a close, there's an incredible relationship there with God. I hope those of us who already know it, appreciate it. Are living in the joy of it. And, and if, if you don't know God as your father, I hope that you'll really think, really think about what he has done for you. And the fact that he just cries out to you, seek me. Ask for me, knock on the door, and I will open that door for you. He's a God who loves to hear our prayers. He loves to answer our prayers. He loves to bless us. He is the perfect Father. And I hope that we can all see his incredible power working out in our lives. So let me just pray for us as I finish, and then I think the band are coming back up um, as we worship again. Father, thank you for being a God who wants a relationship with us. Thank you for being our heavenly Father. And thank you for your Son, Jesus, whose sacrifice has made this possible. Thank you for your love to us. Help us to value and engage with prayer in the way that we should so that we're closer to you and understand and know you more.
We just want to magnify you today. And I thank you for all that you've done for us. For your glory, amen.